Good afternoon. Hope everyone is doing well this afternoon. It's good to see all your faces out there. Um, for the next few minutes this uh, this afternoon, I'd like for you to share a lesson concerning the topic given to me, and that topic has been stated already. Stand up for Jesus. I had planned on sharing some lyrics similar to Steve and Dane and Dave regarding standing up for Jesus, but singing it is that much more better. A, a chorus of voices is certainly better than just one saying them. So, stand up for Jesus. You'll note that while my last name is Woody, my handwriting is not. I get a, I get a lot of things from my mom's side of the family, and I'm very thankful for that. Because we don't want to be too boring, do we? Stand up for Jesus. If you remember anything from some of the speech classes that you took while you are in high school or college, you'll probably remember that there are generally three different types of speeches that can be delivered. You have your informative speeches, you have your persuasive speeches, and you also have instructive speeches. This weekend, we have heard lessons that have broached and covered all three categories. We've been blessed with lessons that provided solid information. Information that is truth and based on the truth. Information that will help us in our fight against evil. Words of truth that can and will sustain us if we live by them daily. Matthew 4 and 4. We have heard lessons that have been persuasive, thought-provoking, challenging, and metaphorical mirrors held up in front of our faces via the Word of God to show us what our true image is. James chapter 1. And also, we have heard lessons that are instructional. They taught us. They guided us. They coached us. They showed us how we could run, run stronger and longer in this race of faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And I hope that my thoughts this afternoon can also go into each one of those three categories. That's, that something can be taken from this lesson to help to persuade. That can help to be informational as well as be instructive. Um, there is a, a, a fourth type of speech that I had planned on speaking about, but Brother Dave did an excellent job this morning of the special occasion or commemorative speech when he paid tribute to his dad, and that was certainly edifying. There's another list of types of teaching and admonition that I hope can take place today throughout the Word of God this afternoon, and that's found in 2 Timothy 4 and 2, when Paul advises the young evangelist Timothy to preach the Word, to be ready in season and out of season, and then after that he tells them three different ways in which he can do that. By convincing, by rebuking, and by exhorting. To convince, to rebuke, to exhort. How can I convince you this afternoon to stand up for Jesus? A better question might be, how can I help you to convince yourself on a daily basis to stand up for Jesus? What about rebuke? Certainly not my place in this forum to individually rebuke anyone. Shame on me if I thought that a public rebuke would be appropriate or even close to edifying. That being said, I can certainly rebuke a sin that might be taking place in your life. I can rebuke a sin that might be causing you to stumble, prevent you from standing for Jesus. To rebuke is to express sharp disapproval or criticism, and sins do need to be rebuked. Not ignored, not swept under the rugs, not avoided, they need to be rebuked. And finally, exhortation. To strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. I think it goes without saying that one of the main purposes of this lesson is to just do that. To exhort. 
I hope that I can encourage you to stand up for Jesus. To not just do that on a singularity, but rather on a consistent basis. To stand. To do so steadfastly. To grow in the grace of knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that if you haven't made the decision to start standing, that maybe today something will be said that encourages you to stop sitting and start standing. You'll gain strength and encouragement from this and be motivated to grow even stronger in the faith. My thoughts for today will stem from the following that, that Brother Tom sent me and that was outlined by Brother Steve. I received the following to help me prepare for this lesson. When Peter concluded his second epistle, he did so with the warning. A, to beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness. To, excuse me. Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness. And B, to grow in the grace of knowledge of Christ. And that comes from 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I would like to address this topic of standing up for Jesus with a three-step process. And that first step is pretty simple. In order to stand up for Jesus... You have to stop sitting. Very simple, very basic, but very true. In order to start standing, you have to stop sitting. We know for a fact that anything that is done in excess can be harmful. If you were to look for an article on water being bad for you, you could certainly find an article on water being bad for you, because we know that all things in moderation. Too much of anything can be a bad thing, and the same can be said of sitting. Sitting in excess can be potentially dead, deadly. Sitting in excess is extremely bad for your health. Sitting for long periods of time can cause blood clots to form, which can travel to the brain and cause a stroke. You are twice as likely to develop a pulmonary embolism if you sit most of your day. The reduction of physical activity leads to hypertension or high blood pressure. Excessive sitting contributes to obesity and colon cancer. Enzymes in the blood vessels of muscles responsible for burning fat shut down, leading to the disruption of the body's method of metabolizing fuels. That's what happens when you sit down for excessive periods of time. Numbness in the feet can be caused by poor circulation. It can also cause nerve damage or pressure on nerves when you sit for long periods. Fluid retained in your legs during the day move to your neck at night and contribute to sleep apnea. Neck muscles, neck muscles are stressed, leading to pain. People who live a sedentary lifestyle are up to twice as likely to die or develop diabetes and heart disease than those who make a practice of moving around frequently. Sitting for long periods of time places a high amount of stress on the spine. Over time, sitting can result in compression of the spinal discs. Because muscles are tight from pressure, sudden movements can lead to injury. Sitting in excess can be bad for you. Is everyone comfortable out there? I have a stopwatch, so we're, we're good. Sitting in excess is certainly something physically that can cause us long-term health problems. And can't we say the same thing about sitting spiritually? Can sitting spiritually cause long-term problems? Can sitting spiritually cause eternal problems? Certainly so. 
Sitting spiritually could be a, a few different things. Um, one, sitting spiritually could just be flat out, point blank, broad stroke, laziness. Sitting spiritually could be laziness. Not doing what we're supposed to because, well, we just don't feel like it. We just don't want to. Other things are the priority. We don't think that we need to. It can wait another day. We haven't developed the sense of urgency to make standing for Jesus a priority. Being a little too comfortable. Being a little too complacent. Going with the flow. That's laziness. Spiritual sitting is laziness. Proverbs 10 and 4, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 13 and 4, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Proverbs 10 and 26, very, very gruesome picture. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. Not pulling any punches with how laziness is viewed. Who likes vinegar in the mouth for long periods of time? Who likes smoke in their eyes? No, you move your lawn chair, right? Is there a bonfire last night? Anybody, anybody like the smoke in your eyes? No. So is the lazy man to those who send him. But sometimes we do have an innate tendency to be lazy spiritually. Fighting a spiritual battle in a physical world can be and is difficult. But it's a fight that we have to fight and a fight that we need to win. We need to win this fight. We can't just say, well, you know what, I'll just sit this one out. I'll just let this let someone else take this one for me. No, it is our fight to win. Philippians 4, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This sermon is not going to get anyone to heaven. Because you listen to me for 25 to 30 minutes this afternoon, we'll get you no salvation. It is up to you to stop sitting and start standing in order to earn your salvation. And I hope this can encourage you to do so. This fleshly desire for excess resting is something that needs to be handled. Laziness isn't tolerated with your schooling. Laziness isn't rewarded in the workplace. A functional marriage relationship has no room for laziness. So why would we think that laziness in our spiritual race would work? It won't. And we need to make every effort to make every effort. Hebrews 12 and 12, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Spiritual sitting is laziness. And also, and maybe more obviously, spiritual sitting is sinning. To sit spiritually is to sin. As most of us know that are here today, there are two main routes that we can take to sin. We can sin by commission, and we can sin by omission. And you've probably heard it many times from behind a pulpit similar to this. We can sin by omission just as easily and maybe more often than we sin by commission. Sinning by commission is doing something that doesn't hit the mark based off of the little translation of the word sin. We missed the mark. We committed a sin. Sinning by commission is a purposeful violation of knowing what is right but choosing the other way. Sinning by omission is spiritual sitting. Knowing the right thing to do and choosing not to do anything at all. Whether you choose to do a thing or not, you have still made a choice. When good men fail to stand for what's right, evil prevails. These sound familiar? Have you heard these before? Doing nothing is just as bad as doing something wrong. And even better and more scriptural, James 4 and 17, 
So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. When you think about sitting, physical sitting, and the connotations that go along with it and how we use it in our day-to-day vernacular, I think of two different things that stand out. If you were to describe something as a sitting duck, or someone as a sitting duck, what does that, what does that mean? It's an easy target. You think the devil likes easy targets? You think the devil needs to be so cunning and crafting when he has just a sitting duck out there? No, it's a waste of his time. If you, were to cho- not, if you were to choose to not participate in an activity, we sometimes use the phrase that I'm just going to sit this one out. Is that active? Is that an active thing? Is that the right thing to do in our Christian fight, in our Christian race? You know, when we're talking about fighting and racing, those aren't passive. Those aren't sitting down. Those are active. If we know the right thing to do, then I hope that our attitude isn't to sit it out, to be a sitting duck. I hope we don't throw in the towel when presented with an opportunity and simply just say, I'm going to sit this one out. God implores us not to sit. God wants us to be active, not inactive. God doesn't like bench warmers. God doesn't want someone that's just on the end of the bench cheering on his teammates. God wants us to be active and participants. 1 John 3 and 6, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Do you abide in God? Do you abide in God? Then stop sitting. Stop being an easy target for the devil. Stop watching from the sideline. Remember some of the physical side effects of excessive sitting. That long list. The same is true with even more of an internal impact with spiritual sitting. Sitting is sinning. Hebrews 10, 26, and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. When Paul concluded his second letter to the Christians, spread it, ab- spread it abroad during the first century, he warned them and told them to beware lest they fall from their own steadfastness. Peter know, knew his audience. He knew he was, who he was writing to. He knew that those people that he was writing to were persecuted. He knew that they were prone, at risk, to falling, to sitting, to taking the easy way out. They had a tough fight on their hand. And really, who doesn't in here have a tough fight on their hand? Who in here isn't at risk of falling? Who in here isn't tempted to sit out the spiritual race, the spiritual fight? They were and we are tempted daily to sit spiritually, to give in, to look over our shoulders and take our eyes off of the prize, to look behind us, to try to find an easy way out, to not look at the reward that's waiting for us if we just stay faithful and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Looking behind us is a dangerous thing to do. Spiritually speaking, looking behind us, our eyes fall off the prize. I remember in high school, we had the state highway patrol came in, and they were talking to us about what to do if you're driving in inclement weather and your car starts to spin out of control. And they were talking about how your focus as the driver is the most important thing when losing control of a motor vehicle. He said that nine times out of ten, when you're losing control on an icy road, where you look is where you land. What you focus on 
where your eyes are at is where you end up. If you're looking at that tree, guess where you're headed. If you look at that ditch, guess where you're going to end up. If you keep your eyes on the road, you'll stay on the road. The same thing, the same principle is true for any of us in here who golf or have golfed before. If you don't want to hit it in the trees and you're thinking about that in your backswing, where do you hit it? If you don't want to put the ball in the lake, where is it going? Where our focus is at is where we will end up. If we're looking behind us, that's where we'll end up. My high school cross-country coach always taught the freshmen early on in their racing, do not look behind you, otherwise that's where you will end up. You're focused on the runner in front of you. If you're looking over your shoulder, that shark in the water just smelled blood. That person in front of me is dying. That person in front of me is falling back. Don't look back unless you intend on going that way. If we're going to maintain our own steadfastness, brethren, we must not look backwards. We must not lose focus on the goal in front of us and fall. And that brings us to the second point this afternoon on how to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And it's not that difficult. Once again, in order to stand up for Jesus, first off, we have to stop sitting. And the next step, anyone? Start standing. Stop sitting and start standing. We need to stand up for Jesus. To do this, we have to first stop sitting. And the next thing we have to do is we have to get strong. Well, how do we get strong? Well, the first thing in order to get strong is you have to get rid of the weight of sin. You cannot get stronger unless you get rid of the sin. The sin will weigh you down. Those snares will keep you from growing up. When you think about physical exercise and how you want to get stronger or gain more endurance in, in physical activity, in order to do that, there's a part that comes with it, and that is getting rid of bad habits with eating. You cannot outrun a bad diet. You cannot outrun a bad diet. The same goes spiritually as well. Running the race with endurance, we have to lay aside the snares which so easily entangle us. We have to let them go. We have to get rid of them. If we're going to grow up, we have to put down our sin. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. To stand up, we have to gird up. We have to put on the armor of God. We have to be ready for it. We have to be strong. We have to stand up. And oftentimes, as we've been referenced to several times this weekend, sometimes when you stand up, you will stand out. More oftentimes than not, standing up means standing out. 
The tallest blade of grass is what? The first to get cut. Standing up means standing out. Doing the right thing isn't always popular, and what's popular isn't always right. Doing the right thing is going to be difficult, and it will be a challenge, but it's one that we have to make, and it's one that we need to make. Are you going to choose the world and the things in it, or are you going to choose God? Don't give up long-term benefits for short-term pleasures. Do not give up long-term benefits for short-term short-term pleasures. Remember growing up, my mom would... I don't want to use the word bribe, but I just did on audio. So, Bill, she would uh, she would offer us a quarter to rub her feet for a minute, or a dollar if we did five. You know how tempting it was to give up that long-term benefit for the short-term pleasure of only having to rub your mom's feet for a minute. I could do a minute. I got more important things to do, mom. I can do a minute, but it was a dollar. Versus a quarter. Don't give up long-term benefits for short-term pleasures. You can't have both in this life and win. You can have both for a while. You can have both and get by. You can have both and fool some folks. But you will not win. You will find yourself at the end of the race disqualified. I'm not a NASCAR fan, but I know that in NASCAR, you can win a race by cheating. But guess what they do with the cars after they get done racing? They inspect them and they get disqualified, and there's usually a punishment involved. Our punishment for disqualification isn't a fine of thousands of dollars or having to sit out a race or lose points, whatever those might be in NASCAR. Ours is eternal. That's what our disqualification will be. We cannot serve both God and mammon, and don't believe for a second that you can. There are a lot of good people in this world that ride the fence, sitting between the two and thinking they can have it all, earthly pleasure and eternal life. But God isn't looking for partial worship. God is looking for true worshipers. God isn't looking for part-time Christians. God isn't looking for Sunday morning Christians. When Paul wrote to Timothy and, and talked about three different groups in which Christians should model their lives at, he used the illustration of the athlete, the farmer, and the soldier. Athlete, farmer, and soldier. And what do those three have in common? Hard work. Diligence. Standing up. Loyal, faithful. God is looking for that. He isn't looking for part-time. He's looking for those that are athletes, those that will run with endurance. He's looking for soldiers, those that will fight the fight. He's looking for farmers, those that will sow the seed and provide an increase for His kingdom. We need to stand up. We need to grow in the grace of God. What does it mean to grow in grace? What does it mean to grow in the grace of God? Can you quantify? Can you put a number on grace? Can you grow in it? If grace is defined as unmerited favor, how are we to put a merit on it? 2 Peter 1, 5-11 But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent 
to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, Sam, there is nothing about grace in there. There was no tips on how to grow in grace. But was there? There was knowledge, right? Later on in that same letter, Peter wrote and said that we are to grow in grace and knowledge. Well, he showed us in the first chapter how we do knowledge. It's part of that sequence of virtues that we are to have in our lives. Very simply put, we grow in grace by growing closer to God. By our steadfastness in the faith, we grow closer to God. Knowledge is certainly easier to define. It's more quantifiable. We can put a measure on knowledge, if you will. We can see how we can grow in knowledge as we begin to dive in, learn, and understand. That's how we grow in knowledge. But to grow in grace, it's a progression. Get away from sin. Get close to God. And grace is the byproduct. We stop practicing sin. We grow in grace. We stop trying to please both God and man. We grow in grace. We focus on the spiritual rather than the physical. We grow in grace. One of the other common definitions of grace is simply favor. And if you look at the word favor, it's translated in the Greek as charis. How do you grow in favor with God? Maybe if we look at it that way, it'll be a little bit more clear on how we can do it. How do you grow in favor with God? Well, how do you grow in favor with anyone? How about that question? How do you grow in favor with anyone? And that should help us a little bit. Before I started dating my wife, my goal was to grow in her favor. And how could I grow in her favor? Did I grow in her favor by ignoring her? Not talking to her? Giving her just one day a week of my time? Take her on dates to restaurants that only I liked? That wouldn't have worked out so well, would it? I grew in her favor by investing time in her. I grew in her favor by doing the things that she wanted to do, that we could enjoy together. I gained her favor by growing closer to her. So how do we grow in favor with God? We invest our time in Him. We make Him a priority. We talk to Him. We praise Him. We thank Him. We do the things that He wants to do. We do the things that we know that He likes. We don't make assumptions of what God will like. We don't offer worship and just hope that it's what He wants. Here's the fruit of the earth. Hope you like it. That didn't work out so well, did it? We do the things that God wants. We do His will. We stop sitting. We start standing. We grow closer to Him. We stand taller. We strengthen the hands which hang down. We make strong the feeble knees. We make a path towards Him that we won't trip over. Is our relationship with God growing? Are we standing up and drawing close to Him or are we keeping Him at a distance? We need to stand up for Jesus. Stand up for what's right. Stand up for the truth. Stand up for righteousness. And the third point as I look at my stopwatch and see that we're at 28 minutes. The third step is to stay steadfast. You know, I like the word steadfast. It's an interesting word. It catches my mind's eye when I see it because it almost looks like an oxymoron when I look at that. Steadfast. Kind of a derivative of to stand fast. 
When you think of standing, you think of static, and when you think of fast, you think of dynamic. So what does it mean to stand fast? What does it mean to put those two together? Well, the literal definition of steadfast is loyal, faithful, committed, devoted, unwavering, dedicated, dependable, reliable, steady, true. Such good, good synonyms. Such good, good words. Dave talked about how he hoped people would remember us when we left this world. How about this list? That would be a great list. Sam remained steadfast because Sam was loyal, faithful, committed, devoted. That's a great list. When you think about the, the synonyms for steadfast, look in the mirror. Does that describe you? Does that describe your spiritual strength or well-being? 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, we are implored to test ourselves, to examine ourselves, to see if we are in the faith, lest in the end we might become disqualified. Are we seeing this in our life? We've stopped sitting. We are now standing. Are we remaining steadfast? Can we see that in the mirror when we look at that? If we were to give ourselves a written evaluation, a self-appraisal, if you will, would these descriptors be given to us? Could we write these down with a clean conscience? Peter's warning at the end of 2 Peter to beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness was an admonition for them to keep working, to keep growing, and to keep fighting. And we have that same admonition. We must continue to develop ourselves as Christians and grow closer to God. We need to make a daily habit of being loyal, faithful, committed, etc. Our habits must reflect that because after all, we are creatures of habit. You've heard that phrase before. You might have heard it ad nauseum that we're creatures of habit. Well, there's a reason why something becomes ad nauseum or cliche is because there's truth behind it. We are a set of repetitious behaviors. That is what we are. We are creatures of habit. We are habits upon habits upon habits. It's what we do. Our repeated behaviors over the course of a period of time become our habits. The thoughts that we think turn into the words that we say. The words that we say turn into the actions that we take, and those turn into the habits that we display. And those habits, in turn, turn into our character, and our character ultimately becomes our reputation. Our habits matter. Our habits can either be good or they can be bad. The habits that can help us draw closer to God, they can do this or they can push us away in such a slow and deliberate manner that we can't stop it until it's painful and damaging to fix. Some of the worst habits are the ones that are tough to diagnose, the ones that are tough to evaluate, the ones that have just kind of snuck in on you. I had an illustration based off of a uh, Bible study that I attended at Murray Road a few weeks back. However, Tad's older brother decided to take his place at the meeting and gave the same illustration of the strangler fit. Something sneaks in without knowing, plants its roots, suffocates the body, and kills it. Remember the best way to boil a frog? It's not to get the water boiling and throw the frog in. What's the frog going to do? It's going to jump. No, the best practice is to slowly heat that water. Let the frog be in there. Let him acclimate to the temperature until it's too hot for him to jump anymore, and then he dies. So it is with our lives and our habits. We need to evaluate our habits to ensure that they are steadfast and true. We need to make sure that we have good habits. Good habits protect us from unsafe behavior. Driving habits, when done right, protect us out on the road. Hygienic habits protect us against disease when done consistently. Good speech habits protect us against sin and conflict in our lives when controlled. 
And similarly, bad habits put us at risk. Driving. If you practice bad habits, the results are probably going to end up bad. Risk can occur. Nutritionally, if you have bad habits, the end results are not good. Likewise, habits are developed spiritually. We tend to either sit or stand in our spiritual walks based on a repetition of behaviors. If we give in to the same temptation daily for an extended period of time, eventually we aren't even going to think about that temptation anymore. It's no longer even a temptation. We don't even think about it. There's no fork in the road. There's just a one-way street. We automatically go down the road. And isn't it the case? Isn't it the case? When you're trying to develop a good habit, it takes 21 days or it takes 30 days or it takes three months to get that good habit to where you do it subconsciously. How long does it take with a bad habit? No time at all. If donuts were good for us, we'd have, we'd have no problem inserting those into our daily diets. But mention coconut oil as a daily remedy for all sorts of ailments, and, and that airplane ain't getting off the ground. Spiritually speaking, our habits truly matter. Stop sitting. Start standing. Stay steadfast. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 we need to stay steadfast that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to him who is head. To stay steadfast is to develop that habit of faithfulness. To be faithful always is to grow closer to God daily. To grow closer to God is to serve him. Isaiah 40 and 31, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As discussed briefly earlier, briefly earlier, to grow in the knowledge of the Lord is to study His Word, to learn it, to understand it, to be able to teach it, and to be able to apply it to our lives and, and shine that light in our day-to-day -day walks. One of the several benefits of studying the Word is understanding a little bit every day about just how truly living and powerful the Word of God is. The Word of God is living and powerful. And when you become to understand the beauty of that and the power behind that and who created that and put that into our hands, it's astonishing. The Word of God is living and powerful. I don't know what that means to you exactly. It probably means many things to many people. And I don't think it just means one thing. But to be living and powerful means it's not one-dimensional. The Word of God is not one-dimensional. It's not limited. And I love that about the Word. Passages can take on multiple meanings in different ways to help you grow in different points of your life. The Word of God being living and powerful means that you can read a verse and understand it one way and apply it to your life in a way that's beneficial. And years later, with the same passage, read it again and it takes on a whole new meaning that is just as edifying as beneficial. Both are right, both are true, and both help you grow closer to God. And this is one of those passages for me, because I believe waiting on the Lord to have two powerful and meaningful, meaningful meanings. The first simply meaning that we need to be patient. We need to literally wait on the Lord. We need to take things in God's time. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. However, recently I've looked at this verse in a little bit of a different manner, specifically looking at what it means to wait on the Lord. The second meaning for me, waiting on the Lord, is more active. It's more service-oriented. To wait on the Lord is to work for the Lord, to serve the Lord. When you walk into a restaurant and sit down at the table, what are you looking for out of your waiter or waitress? Service. You're looking for service. You're looking for good service. You're looking for someone who is going to please you. You're looking for someone who is going to serve you. Looking for someone who is going to do what they're supposed to do in service of you. God is looking for the same thing from us. He's looking for those who will wait on Him. He is looking for good waiters and waitresses. Those that are active. Those that are steadfast. A steadfast waiter or waitress is a great thing. The tip seems to be a little bit better for those that are steadfast. You don't like the waiter or waitress who fills your cup up the first time and then forgets about you. You did that one thing good for me. Well, I, I filled their drink, so I'll check that box that I should get a good tip now. Looking for steadfast. They're always checking in on them. God wants good service. God wants someone who's going to prioritize him. I think by now you can probably see how the example of Esther and Mordecai is one that transcends their time and fits in with all the lessons this weekend. Esther and Mordecai were exemplary examples of standing up for the Lord. They stood up for the Lord. They were steadfast in all that they did. Their faithfulness was unrivaled and their light in times of darkness was something that we can all strive to emulate in our lives. Talk about adding virtue to your life. Knowledge, diligence, self-control. Saw that in Esther. Saw that in Mordecai. Faithfulness. Their faithfulness was unrivaled. They could have sat back. Could have taken a seat. They could have done what was easy. They could have tried to be avoid that tallest blade of grass. They could have avoided that. But they didn't. They didn't play it safe. They stood up for what was right. They took the short-term risk to get the long-term benefit. They stood up and stayed steadfast, and I hope that we can all do the same. I appreciate your patience as I went over by 9 minutes and 28 seconds. Those thoughts are yours, and I encourage you to stop sitting, start standing, and stay steadfast.